views expressed on the following broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of KHLT, Take 12 Radio, or our affiliates. The opinions on this show should not be considered as medical, psychological, or professional advice and are those of the host, co-host, and guest. Take 12 Radio and KHLT Recovery Broadcasting are not affiliated with any particular 12-step fellowship. Welcome to Entitled to Overcome, Exploring Solutions for Life Today, a presentation of Take 12 Recovery Radio. And now, here are your co-hosts, Dave Fleming and the Monty Man. We are exploring solutions for life today, day, day. <laughs> hey, yes, Dave. today. Hey, Monty. Hey, Dave. What are we doing today, Monty? We're going to do what we do every day, Dave. We're going to take over the recovery world. <laughs> Live in the solution. Oh, my goodness, Saints. Welcome to Entitled to Overcome. Uh, really exploring solutions for life today. And uh, with uh, Dave uh, Fleming in his bright green shirt sitting across from me here in the KHLT Recovery Broadcasting Studios. Dave, what are you doing on your phone? I can't. Okay, I, this is this is a whole new madness. We're, we're co- co-hosting this show together, and he's still on his phone. There, and he's typing away, still what, on his phone. What are you talking? He's about? He's probably talking to his wife. Hey, listen, to the topic. You uh, know what they say. <laughs> happy Ow. wife. Happy, happy life. life. I know. The topic this week is old. Old. Remember that word. Old. Playgrounds, playmates, and playthings, really, old stomping grounds. Uh, Let me talking about that uh, today. And uh, I know everybody out there is just very interested in this because there's a lot of folks out there that think it's perfectly okay to go hang out in the areas that they used to hang out with. I've got this now, Dave. I've been sober for a year. I can go hang out in the uh, whatever the place is. Right. Maybe they can. I don't know. But we're going to be talking about that kind of stuff. Uh, but I think I think there's always something around the corner to have fun with, I think. Oh. Well, I'm certainly glad you asked because it's time I didn't ask. to take some ice and break it. Because, well, it's time for <laughs> Dave and Monty's Icebreaker. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Uh, From Empire News, Dave, Denver, Colorado. Uh, Colorado has been in the news for years for being the first state to legalize marijuana for recreational use, and it looks as though the state is at it again, but this time with a different and slightly more controversial drug, Dave. Do tell, Monty. Uh, Okay, I shall. (laughs) The Colorado State Legislature has decided to legalize or attempt to Uh the street drug crystal methamphetamine. What? What what plant does that come from? What? (laughs) So somebody the other day told me, well, God wouldn't have created marijuana if he didn't mean for us to smoke it. I'm like, well, God created hemlock, too, but you don't put it in your soup, right? 
Right. And, and yeah, that's a whole other yeah, topic. Well, anyway. Maybe, maybe God meant for you to uh, juice it. Maybe. And not smoke it. Or maybe grow it as a very beautiful leafy plant. It is kind of a pretty plant, isn't it? I think it is. Yeah, well, I mean, it has its, uh, you know, there's lots of research now and its medicinal qualities. But if you take there the, is take the psychoactive part out of it, right? Uh, it's it's been used to cure uh, uh, several diseases. Toe uh, fungus. I'm sure we're going to get some feedback <laughs> on this, but yeah, uh, M A T M A R. If you don't know what M A T is, it's medically assisted treatment. M A R is medically assisted recovery. Learn it, know it. You're going to hear a lot about it. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> So is that is that part of Denver's new uh, harm reduction uh, plan for 2018? Maybe we'll go to a, go and live at a at, at a at a sober or half uh, assisted house where you're you're just giving the taxpayers are paying for you to be on meth every day. Right? Yeah. Why'd you say Denver? Oh, I mean Denver, Colorado. Isn't that? I thought we're... you meant I thought you meant Denver Wolf. Hey, <laughs> no. Oh my gosh. Sorry, Denver. Um, well, listen, crystal meth is a highly addictive drug, duh, and that sends millions to rehab or to their death each year. Meth has been around for years, but became extremely popular after the the uh, Showtime TV series Breaking Bad hit the air. While producers only cared about the show being in huge ratings, of course, everyone ignored the fact that it was also bringing in thousands and thousands of new users to the drug. According to Empire News, I don't know how true that is, but I'm just quoting. I that. would suspect there's probably a lot of people that were uh, curious. Curious, yeah. Uh, if you are, la- this is a quote. If you're a lazy natured person, uh, lazy natured person, meth can give you that boost. Coffee just can't, and you can get a lot done. Said a local meth vendor who wished to remain anonymous. <laughs> oh, come on, tell wait, us who wait, you are. Wait, wait, wait. What was that? A local meth vendor? A vendor. Is that a new word for dealer? <laughs> that is. I'm not a dealer wow. officer. I'm a vendor. Oh, wow. I'm a vendor's license. <laughs> wow. Uh, with the drug becoming legal in Colorado, some would ask how this may affect the sales of marijuana. Well, pot vendors appear to be upset, while their customers couldn't be happier about the move that the state is trying to make. Finally... I mean, it was cool to smoke weed in the middle of the streets for about a week, but everyone knows weed is just a gateway, and I really needed to have them legalize a better drug that will get me really high, said Boulder resident Mike Sherman. (laughs) Okay. It is unclear if this bill will stay in place for long, as opposing parties are already trying to tear it down. Uh, Politicians behind it are claiming it is simply a supply and demand usage. And this is another quote. If they want people to not buy drugs legally, then for crying out loud, they should shut down every Starbucks in the United States. Colorado Representative John Spector, marijuana, meth, what's the difference? The revenue the state is bringing in, it's astronomical. Health is one thing, but we're talking about money here. And who who are these politicians? I'd like to write them uh, a letter. Oh my gosh! Do they do they name names? Well, yeah, you got uh, uh, John Spector, uh, Democrat from marijuana uh, from marijuana, Democrat for for um, representative for um, Colorado. Uh, you got him. You got Mike Sherman, uh, who is uh, just a guy in the street that likes to get really high. And then you got this other character um, that is uh, where is he? Oh, he's anonymous. Yeah. Well, he's the meth dealer. So, you know, uh, (laughs) those of you in in Denver or anywhere else uh, that oppose this, 
please write in oh my gosh. to your local Congress, especially <laughs> those in Denver. Uh, Rocky Mountain High, Colorado. That does it for the icebreaker for this week. Yeah. I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> we're you know, we don't we don't we don't need uh other countries to come in here and destroy <laughs> us, we destroy ourselves. Yeah, that's right. Well then they they count on that. Um so before we talk about the topic that you wanted to talk about here, I just wanted to read this. This is out of the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous because this is this can be controversial, and uh, I don't have a problem with it. I think the the answer. I don't know that I just. I don't know. This is that one one of those areas in the Big Book, one of the rare areas that I take a little bit of issue with. Not a big issue, but a little bit. Um, but. The opening statement is probably key to the whole thing. It's on page 100 of Working With Others. It says... In, in, sorry, in what edition? In, this is in third edition. Actually, it's in every edition. Just, just Well, yeah. the page number might be a little off. Uh, page number may be a little off in so the fourth edition. So I just want to make sure that we're all... If someone's reading along. Yeah. Page 100 at the bottom in the third edition. It says, assuming we are in we are spiritually fit. So that that... It says that right off the bat. No, you know what they say about assuming. Yeah, right. <laughs> we can do all sorts of things alcoholics are not supposed to do. So right there, I'm like, wait a minute. If we are in fit spiritual condition, why would we want to do things we're not supposed to do? That's my first question there. Uh, but it says people have said that we must not go where liquor is served, must not have it in our homes. We must shun friends who drink. We must avoid moving pictures, which show drinking scenes. We must not go into bars. Our friends must hide their bottles if we're going to their houses. We mustn't think or be reminded about alcohol at all. Our experience shows that this is not necessarily so. Um, yeah, I, some of that I agree with. I mean, I, I've gone out to lunch with, with friends that <clears throat> they say, oh, no, don't order a beer, uh, dear, because we're having lunch with Monty. And I'm like, what? I don't. Look at look at it. My recovery is so <clears throat> fragile that if you have a beer with your lunch, I'm going to go out and put a needle in my arm. I'm probably in deep weeds already. Um, I don't have a problem with that. Yeah. Um, but then it goes on later on. It says, um, so our rule is not to avoid a place where there is drinking. And you can fast forward to today, drinking or other mind-altering substances. If we have a legitimate reason for being there, that includes... Bars, nightclubs, dances, receptions, weddings, even plain ordinary whoopee parties. So I looked up whoopee party. Back then, the definition of a whoopee party wasn't just people practicing merriment and joy. That's one of the definitions. But was also sexual promiscuity was involved. So this, you got to remember when this was written. So they were swinging and they were doing some stuff. And they, yeah, you can go to that too. Uh, I thought that was interesting. Um, and, and then it says, um, to a person who has had experience with an alcoholic, this may seem like tempting providence, but it isn't. You will note that we made an important qualification, and that was assuming you are spiritually fit. So if you're spiritually fit, why would you want to hang out in those places? Oh. 
or go to a whoopee party. I go to a whoopee in party the, in the context that you just shared. Right. Yeah. Wow. Uh, ask yourself on each occasion: Have I any good social, business, or personal reason for going to this place, or am I expecting to steal a little vicarious pleasure from the atmosphere? So, so if you're a locksmith and you get called to a nightclub to change their locks, you have business being there. That's your job. You go in there, you change the locks, and you leave. I, I get that. You should be able to go to a wedding where they're serving alcohol, pay your respects, and not have to worry about falling off the wagon if you have a good recovery. If you're in spit spiritual, condi- spit, 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 spit spiritual condition. I've gone to weddings. Now, I won't go to a wedding reception where I know everybody's intention is to get blottoed. I, I, I don't have any business being there. But I've gone to weddings where once I got there, I realized, oh, they've got champagne. And they're toasting, and there are people that are having cocktails and so forth. Uh, I paid my respects. I maybe had lunch, and then I left. No uh, big deal. I, I just want to, you know, interject here on a few things because, you know, again, sometimes, you know, uh, when we read stuff, uh, whether it's in the big book of AA or yeah, the Bible, the big book. Uh, we also have to look at what we're reading in context. So we you have bet. to make sure that we're not just jumping in the middle of a conversation and, and then picking up somewhere in the middle. But um, I, I always look at the, the this topic from not only a person in early recovery, but someone that's got, you know, uh, has been sober a, a number of years, right? And And from all outside observations – accounts it looks like they're in fit spiritual condition um i think in that first part that you read that talks about we should avoid all these you know the other places i think yeah. that that is a it, that is geared towards people that are like new i mean they've been sober for you know an right. hour a day a <clears> week <throat> a month maybe even six months maybe even longer that should avoid those places that should avoid mean, because yeah. I mean, I, and again, I like to only sh- I like to share from my own personal experience. But you know, going back to our first show, and we talk about the only thing you have to change is everything, right? And right. So part of that is is that influences me is the places that I go to, the people that I hang around with, the mm-hmm. music I listen to, the movies that I go and see, the concerts that I go to, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And so doing the you know changing everything, doing the opposite of those things, I have to either eliminate those experiences altogether or like I, what I did is I just changed it to something that fed my spirit in a healthy way. Right. So then, you know, music, you know, movies that I watched, you know, even stores. I mean, I, I went into a store one time and I walked in there and I just felt this present, this, it was just like this, you know, it was like a, a thousand pound weight pressing down on me, this dark, spirit. Mm. That's what I felt when I walked in there. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not going <laughs> to, I wasn't going to like run out waving my hands in the air screaming. There's demons in here. Right. right? <laughs> but I told, you know, my wife and my kids were with me and I said, you know, I'm, I'm feeling a little, at that particular time, I just said, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm feeling a little uncomfortable. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go sit on the bun- bench outside and wait. Because I, you know, it's like we've talked about before in uh, previous shows. I can't expect everyone else to change their lives. Right. 
Because I've changed mine. Right. Because sure. I, out of necessity, mainly. But. That's my friends having a beer at lunch. I'm not going to say, right. put that away. And so, yeah. you know, um, I, I, I kind of explained it to my wife after what was going on. Yeah. And she understood. And so, and, and even, I didn't go to concerts for a while. And uh, when I did, the first one, I, I started feeling, I, could, I mean, now I look back at it and I could say it was, I was, uh, I was, having triggers right right uh just by the way i was feeling and because typically I, I go through my routine you know i drink before i get there and then when i'm there i'll get up and go to the bathroom and i'll stop at the at the bar yeah on the way to the restroom and then maybe even on the way on back, the way from back. The restroom. yeah yeah you bet uh and so it was weird because i when i every time i walked by you know the the bar Right. I, I felt <clears throat> just weird and i couldn't figure out when i was in the middle of it like why exactly that was happening and i'd been I don't know. I was probably, well, I was, it had been like four years, I think, into my, mm-hmm. four or five years into my, uh, into my recovery when that happened. Um, and concerts were something that I went to like at least three or four years, if not more. Um, weddings was, an, weddings and funerals and things like that is another one of those that, and even people that are in long term recovery, uh, I recommend that you'll always bring somebody with you. You have yes, a way, you either key. drive yourself, or right. if you can't drive for whatever reason, uh, you bring somebody with you mm-hmm. that is uh, in recovery as well, or that doesn't drink or use or whatever, and is you know you've had this plan ahead of time that you agreed to. I have a friend that him and his wife they go to functions, even at family uh, functions. And they have a code word they use. They drive. They drive separately. Mm-hmm. And when it gets to a certain point, uh, he gets up and you know gives his wife the signal and drives off. Right. And goes home because he doesn't want to. You know he doesn't want to uh, be there when people start. You know getting really intoxicated and act, acting a fool. And so, um, but he doesn't want to keep his wife from spending time with her family or whatever the situation is. Yeah. So they've and they've been doing it for years. And this is just their plan, and it works great. Um, I had friends call me from weddings and say, help. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I want a drink. I'm at a wedding. Mm-hmm. I have no way to get out of here. Wow. You know? Wow. And so we you know, drop whatever and a couple of us go run down and pick pick them up. Um, but those are always, you always got to have a backup plan. You always got to have somebody with you. I mean. And you should, you, sh- you really shouldn't pay too much credence to when people say, well, by now you ought to be able to handle uh-huh. it. Because right. because you only you know and <clears throat> if this is going to save your life versus offend somebody because you left early, I'm for saving your life every time. Right. You know if if you're going to have a, a backup plan, oh why do you always have to bring so and so with you? Well, <clears throat> the alternative is not a good picture. Right. You know I want to live. Well, I don't know. I I, I like you. Uh, I'll use a line that my uh, my. Pastor uh, from Indiana, from uh, um, Forest Lake <laughs> uses quite often. He says, uh, "I'm an equal opportunity offender." An equal opportunity offender. Yeah, you I know, like because that. it's yeah. like you can't please everybody. No, you, you got to take care of yourself. You know, right? God, yeah. God comes first, and then you, you know you got to take care of yourself and your recovery. You know, before you can do anything else. And so, um, it doesn't. I I don't really care if people get offended. You know, I, if I'm there for somebody else and I, you know, accomplish the mission or whatever it is, mm-hmm. and if I want to leave, I'll leave. I'm, if someone else wants to get upset, you know, 
I'm not going to worry about how they're going to feel. Right. It, it's, uh, you know, I spent too many years worrying about what other people. Sure. You know, either worrying about what they think or not giving a crap. Right. Right. You know, so either either end of that spectrum, uh, you end up isolating yourself. And mm-hmm. It's a pretty bad place to be. What you got there sitting in front of you? Well, let's see. I've got a pen. I've got my coffee. <laughs> I see all sorts. I've of got good, a piece of paper. Good-looking notes there. Oh, I, you know, I there's a few notes that we that I pulled up from last week, and I, I know we ran out of time. Uh, but this t- actually ties more, probably more into what we talk about today. Um, but it, it, just to finish up on what we were talking about, that section that you read there, you know. Um, it's in my recovery. Mm-hmm. I have to be. It has to be about my recovery. You now I can't make. I can't expect anybody else to do anything to change their life. Right. Um, to <clears throat> you know to accommodate your, to accommodate me. You yeah. know because you know they whatever. I mean we for a long time we would go out to me and my wife would go out to dinner and and she would ask if if she could have a drink and I was like yeah no problem I don't. And she she never did, right. but it was the fact that you know she cared enough to ask, and you know, it, and does, didn't want to. You know, it turns out she doesn't want to do it. But I think it was some of the times it was a test, maybe early on. Yeah. Um, but you know, same thing. I go out. People have drinks. I'm I'm cool with that. Uh, it's just a, it, it's amazing to look back or to look at situations that with people. And how messed up they are that are still drinking. Right. It's like, yeah, man, I used to be that person. Yeah. I went to an, a, re- <clears throat> a reunion and not so long ago, and uh, uh, it was pretty scary. Was it? Yeah, it was people that, that, I, that I went to school with. Yeah. Back in the 80s. That mm. are, you know. Still back in the 80s? They're still, <laughs> they're, they're still drinking or they've picked up. Their drinking has progressed, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, not not very nice no. uh, things that happen. So let's pray for them, and uh, you know, uh, reach out, reach out, and offer help. That's about all you can do. Yeah, yeah, true. So that, I mean that that kind of ties into also what we're talking about. It's about going back to these old, you know, stomping grounds, stomping grounds, uh, old old hangouts, people that you uh, uh, that you associate with. You know, um, especially, uh, you know, like going to family reunions are famous for that. Fam- family reunions or high school reunions, you go back and you see uh, see some people that are still dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the first part that I wanted to address here is, I guess, more importantly, is like when you come out of treatment, because that's kind of where we've, we've started this whole process. And I want to kind of continue on as we move forward. Um, when you get first get out of treatment it, or first get sober, uh, it's probably more more of the crucial time in your recovery because you got to make good choices. You know we've mm-hmm. we've acquired some some new tools, <clears throat> and uh, we're starting to put those into practice. Um, we're gonna run into the old people that we used to hang out with. Uh, especially if we go back to where we used to live, mm-hmm. you know, if we go, if we have a family and we go back to our family, or we go back to uh, same neighborhoods, 
because they're not they're not necessarily getting well either. Well, you you went into treatment, yeah, and everything back there is the same. Typically, yeah, typically, and, and so that can be problematic. And I think more often than not, people fall back into relapse uh, when they do that. Yeah, especially when you go back, you know, it's your old neighborhood, and you go and hang hang out with the homies again, right? And they're you know, hey, let's celebrate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. just you just got out of treatment. Right. You've been in treatment for right. a year or you know whatever, right. thirty days or twenty eight days, whatever it is. You gotta celebrate, right? Yeah. And and sometimes it's it's you know it can be a game for some people, mm. right? Let's see if this is really gonna work. If you're just doing this to ah. appease the the judge or your PO, or is this something you're serious about? Right. And then you know, I, I've had uh, friends or acquaintances in the program or they, they're at people's houses that they used to hang out with. And it's like, no, I don't use anymore. I don't drink. I don't smoke, whatever. And so they're passing, you know, the, oh, yeah. the bowl or the foil or whatever in front of this person. Right. Well, it's kind of like the old saying, you go to the barbershop. You're going to get a haircut. Often enough, you're yeah. going to get a haircut. Are you yourself are, are handing it from one person to another and saying, no, thank you, I've had enough, and you're sitting there in the middle of this thing? And sometimes people do that intentionally. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and going to old places, uh, people that you used to hang out with, you know, not everybody, if, like I said, not everybody's uh, in the same place you are or moving in the direction you are right. or, or healthy at all. And uh, we got to try to keep separated from those people. I mean, we we can still, maybe we can still talk to them, but we can't go to their house. We can't you know, have any conversations that can lead us back down that road. And if someone's, our, you know, if we consider someone our friend, mm-hmm. um, they should support us and not put us in jeopardy right. of losing uh, the new life that we want to live. You know? Yeah. And um, so the rule of thumb for me has always been, <clears throat> with people that are still practicing um, is, Hey, I'll hang out with you. I'll I'll meet you at the meeting. I'll meet you at church. Uh, If we're going to coffee, I'm going to bring somebody with me, that kind of thing. But but I'm not going to your stomping ground. I'm I'm just not going to do that. Even today, you know, 20 years. Right. Sober. I'm not going, just not going. Well, and some people don't have uh, don't have a whole lot of choices, unfortunately. Um, I mean, if you know, because of where they live, I, and that yeah. Kind of, I mean, yeah. if I live in a neighborhood where there's a you know this a lot nice, of stuff going on, stomping grounds where I I was uh, <laughs> the local merchant, you know, as they as, they, yeah. as we talked about in the last story, <laughs> the vendor, the, the local <laughs> street vendor, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, that's and, your home, yeah. That's really and so. Rough. In, in, if you're in a neighborhood where that's that's all around you, I mean, right. And then you got the, you know the the grocery store or the, uh, you know, the pizza parlor or whatever is in the same town. And the same people uh, go to the same hangouts. Um, you've got to be able to develop uh, a strong program and some boundaries in order to get through that. Because mm-hmm. yeah, it, I mean, it's a tough place to be, but you, you know, you can do it if you have the willpower and a plan in place with accountability to do so. And, and this is why in recovery, it is so vitally important to be developing a relationship with God 
because your human intellect and your human your willpower apart from God probably isn't going to be able to be too disciplined. Right. Right. So we're we're teaching people in some recovery circles that, you know, just keep going to meetings and that's a great thing to do. But if we're not teaching them to develop a relationship with a power greater than themselves, because that was the problem, right? We needed a power. Then we're going in, we're going out to the battle zone unarmed. And we're going to probably get shot. Well, there's, that's one side of the coin, right? Right. You know, uh, for you and I, that, that was, that was our journey. Yeah. Uh, It took me a long time to get there, but God finally, you know, revealed himself to me in a way that I have no doubt that there's a God and he's working in my life. But there's others. But I also have to do, I have to do my part. I can't sit in my room and read and pray and then my life will change. I have to actually go and help others. And not cooperate with, with God. I have to, I have to actively participate. Right. And so, you know, part of that is going to meetings and you're going to. So the pie has got several pieces. You take one out, you compromise the whole pie. It's like that three-legged stool. Right. Yeah, you take one. (laughs) You're not doing so well, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah. Well, what about people, Dave, that that do the 30-day spin cycle kind of thing? They're feeling better because they've detoxed. Um, they can't afford to go another month or another two months or whatever. And they're right back. You know, that's their neighborhood. Maybe it's the ghetto of their city even. Yeah. Um, and they haven't developed a relationship with a power greater than themselves yet. Uh, their intentions are good. They don't want to use and they're thrust back into this, this situation. That's rough. Yeah. Well, you know, you gotta, you got to have the motivation to change. You know, it's it's being mm-hmm. sick and tired of being sick and tired. Um, I can only speak uh, from my personal experience because I have some experience with that thirty day or that twenty eight day spin cycle. You know, I'm going right back to right. You know, the old the old neighborhood, um, and everything's still there. And you know, meth is a little harder to get. You know, when you're not looking for it, but alcohol is everywhere. Sure. You know, um, I know I shared this with you before, but I remember the first week I was out of treatment, uh, I was tested. I went to a grocery store, and when I came out of the grocery store, there, sitting next to my car was a shopping cart with a four-pack of wine coolers in it, and it was the wine coolers that, that I that I drank. Just sitting there all by its lonesome. Just sitting huh? there in a cart next to my car, wow. next to my truck. And, uh, you know, it's like that split <laughs> second, you know. Yeah. Just do the next right thing, whatever that is, you know, because that was kind of my mantra. And so right. I went back in, I took it into the store, and I said, "Hey, someone left this in the cart." They looked at me kind of crazy, but th- those are the, you know, those are the things that I had to do right away. I was tested, you know. The uh, there's a sec- uh, section here that I, that I got on my notes here. It says uh, the importance of uh, the challenges in recovery. It says in twelve step groups, it's frequently stated that pain is the touchstone of growth and recovery. This is the view that challenge. Uh, this is a view that challenges are like exams along the path of sobriety. If an individual passes the exam, uh, they can move forward. But if they fail, then they need to uh, reset the test. These challenges help the individual put their new coping strategies to the test. They can find out if these tools actually work or if they, it's time to go back to the drawing board. 
instead of seeing problems as many as the enemy, they need to actually be viewed as a great friend to people that <clears throat> the greatest friend that friend that people can have is a nice when uh, life's going well, but at this time uh, when there is not much progress in, in human development, mm-hmm. right? As individual learns to cope with different strategies, challenges, they become more skilled at facing them in the future. They build an armory uh, of a tools that they can use for almost any situation. If they're persistent, uh, then they will likely reach a stage where they are unruffled by the challenges of life. They automatically know how to handle any situation and enjoy a wonderful sense of inner peace most of the time. This type of serenity is the reward for dealing with life on life's terms. Such a state is not reached overnight and only develops from a willingness to keep on meeting new challenges and recovery. And that's probably the the biggest key is is it when those challenges come up, right? And if you do the twenty eight day or the thirty day or the even the ninety day treatment and go back uh, back to where you were, you know, same neighborhood, you know, um, you have to be diligent about changing your life. Yeah, and that's about you know not hanging out <clears throat> with the same people and going to the same places. You know, it's about finding a. For me, it was about finding a uh, a church. Took me a couple of treatments to figure this out, but it was about finding a church, and it was about uh, going to meetings. It was about doing what I was told all those other times that I never listened. Right, right, and then putting it into practice. Yeah, uh, and yeah. in that process, I I learned how to live life on life's terms because I didn't know how to do that before, and as I came across uh, people, places, and things that were uh, possible triggers. I just dealt with them as they come up in a positive way. Mm. Talk to my sponsor, go to meetings, Mm -hmm. just avoid, you know, um, don't go to places that don't really have any purpose of being there. Sure. You know? Uh, We're going to take a break. Okay. And when we come back, we're going to continue with this. Uh, Folks, the topic is old playgrounds, playmates, and playthings. On solutions for life today, you are entitled to overcome. Um, you are because of God's great love for you. But we're going to be coming back and talking more about this. Listen to this. Hey, it's the Monty Man from Take 12 Recovery Radio. And for years, I suffered with tossing and turning while trying to get a good night's sleep. If my old expensive pillow had feelings, it would have been screaming, stop punching me. Each morning I would wake up tired and irritable with a sore neck to boot. That is until I discovered my pillow. Now I'm a natural born skeptic, but something had to change. So with their 60 day comfort guarantee, I took the plunge and ordered my custom made pillow from MyPillow.com. The first night I slept with this amazing pillow, I felt the result. I woke up refreshed, no sore neck. And in fact, I was so sold on this product that I purchased one for my wife and our son. Now, I've tried a lot of pillows, but this is the last pillow I will ever need to buy. As folks in recovery, we are taking better care of ourselves every day. Why not take great care of yourself at night as well? Visit MyPillow.com and take the 60-day comfort guarantee challenge. Now, I believe in this product so much 
that Take 12 Recovery Radio has partnered with the folks at MyPillow to bring you a valuable offer made available to you, my listeners. And here it is. Visit MyPillow.com and enter the promo code TAKE12 to save over 50% on your order. That's the promo code TAKE12 for you, my listeners. That's MyPillow.com or call 1-800-544-8939. MyPillow, the official pillow of the National Sleep Foundation and Take 12 Recovery Radio. Welcome back to the show entitled to Overcome Solutions for Life Today with Dave Fleming and the Monty Men. I think that Dave. A little my pillow for your sleepy head. I I am a a, a fan of my pillow. I've had uh, two of them. Have you? For jeez, um, long six, time. Six years. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And there's there's still it. yeah st- still fluffing fine. Oh, and yeah, just else. Throw yeah. them in the throw them in the washer. <clears throat> throw them in the dryer. And right, right. They're nice and clean and puffed back up and. I actually had, I you know I, I bought I bought two I bought you know one for my wife and right she uh, she didn't like it she likes the old feather down right pillow so, right which was you know I just benefited me because now I oh, get, sure I get two of them sure uh, and by the way listeners if you'd like to hear the incredible testimony and the story behind uh, Mike Lindell the CEO and founder of My Pillow um, just go to take twelve radio dot com and. Right under my picture, it says uh, more shows. Click for more shows. Click on that, and you'll see the link, uh, and you can hear his incredible story. We're talking about old playgrounds, playmates, and playthings today on Entitled to Overcome Solutions for Life today. Um, so there's things <clears throat> there's things that you can do to set yourself up for success, and there's things you can do to set yourself up for failure. And we we want to succeed, right? I mean, we 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 want to be able to live life and yeah. be in a world where there's still stuff going on that's inappropriate and be safe. That's the goal. That's the goal, right? <clears throat> it uh, <clears throat> and you know, like we were talking about, early uh, recovery is probably the most important because that's when you're going to start that process of uh, building those new relationships, right? Right. We gotta we gotta. Be able to build those new coping strategies um, in any situation. Uh, transitioning from uh, treatment to home uh, can be especially delicate. Um, and I know the first time I was, I came out of residential treatment, I kind of had that pink cloud going on that they talk about where right. you're like, you know, top of the world, and you're feeling I got great, this. Yeah. and I'm going to go be a chemical dependency counselor, you and I'm going to go save the world, right? Right, right. And, you know, or I'm going to go, you know, whatever program uh, that you go to, you know, sometimes we get out and we want, we just think we, we got it all figured out, and we're going to go save the world. And, mm-hmm. and maybe at some point we are, but we got to we gotta get our lives established, and, you know, just because, you know, uh, God saved me and took the obsession of my my uh, my chemical use away. Um, I'm not necessarily going to go out and, and and save somebody else. All I can do is share my experience, strength, and hope. Mm-hmm. Tell them how I did it and hold their hand if they want to follow that same path. Right. Um, 
that's kind of how I look at it. I go hang out with, you know, go hang out with the sinners now and again, uh, just to kind of tell them, hey, there's a different way, different way to live. Sure. But these uh, going back home, building, new, build, rebuilding relationships. Uh, sometimes you got family members, right? We're talking about going home and back to this old neighborhoods where you always got you got family too, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes uh, they can be the most problematic. You know, uh, <clears throat> I've been here and I, I've had to deal a little bit of this. I mean, I was out of the out of out of the house uh, when I got a long time when I got changed my changed my life, but. Some people don't have that luxury. They go, they're still living with their parents. Right. You know? Yeah. Or they've got a, you know, a husband or wife or and kids and going back to that, you know, that can be a, a very challenging thing. You know, because oftentimes we've made so many attempts at doing this that they still have doubts. Oh, of course. Right? Waiting for the other shoe to drop, as I, they say. Hey, I've got a brother-in-law who's still waiting. Yeah. He said, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. It's been 20 years, but, you know, we'll see. Right. And, and you know, and you got to be okay with that. You got to say, okay, well, that's, you know, because it's not about them anyway. It's about you. Right. You know, let me ask you about play things. We talked a little bit about playgrounds and playmates, but what about play things? I mean. Such as. Well, you know, gollies, I don't want to throw my bongs away. I spent so much money on them and they're really, they're made out of cut crystal and they're just so <clears> beautiful and. Maybe I'll sell them, or maybe I'll give them to a friend, or maybe I'll just hold on to them and make them into a planner or a, or a vase. You know, I, <laughs> you know, and and that that poster with so and so on it, that's promoting Budweiser. You know, I went to that concert. That's very memor- memorable to me. I don't want to get rid of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, is there something to be said about getting rid of old playthings? And do you have yes. to always do that? I mean, what's your take on that? Well. T-shirts. So the only thing you have to change is everything. (laughs) Right. There it is there. So you can't like change one thing and not something else. Right. And so this is, this is another important thing. So we talked about changing the music you listen to and the, you know, cause you know, well, I've got 700 CDs. I have a lot of money invested in there. Why should, you know, I don't want to get rid of them. I got to get rid of them. Yeah. Well, you know, there's lots of places that will give you money for those those used CDs. Mm-hmm. Um, I would recommend go trading them in or selling them and buying something that's going to feed your uh, feed your spirit in a healthy way. Right. Um, now, myself, I have some stuff that is from the '80s, maybe early '90s, mm-hmm. that when I uh, when I listen to it. Uh, I I hear a recovery message in it because I've kind of w- went through uh, my stuff and kind of sorted out what's okay, you know, yeah, what's not healthy and what you know um, what I hear a recovery message is, and even artists that are sober that have struggled with addiction and you know and, and sobriety, mm-hmm. uh, I tend to hang on to that stuff. I'm not so it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, we're the same in that in that in that arena. But yeah. I mean, there's things like you know magazines, you know. Uh, you know, maybe you got maybe got some porn magazines or some videos. Uh, you don't want to be going and giving that to somebody else, right? I know you're just passing on the poison. You're just passing on that. that yeah. You know, I look at it as that that you know that evil, um, that that 
the foothold that evil can take in your life, and all it takes is that you know, you're ogling, you know, this. You're basically worshiping some other god, is what you're doing. Right, right. It's idolatry. Right. Yeah. And so, uh, there was some some stuff that I had that I basically because I thought about all this that I just basically threw in a barrel and set it on. I set it on fire, and I you know I right. bur- I burned it because. I'm not going to pass it on to somebody else. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know. There's there's uh, people that have things like you know they the, uh, the Ouija boards. You know, right? Um, <laughs> you got to you got to get rid of that stuff. You know, um, it you, anything that's going to crack open that door to the dark side is going to uh, it'll slowly fester and expand. Um, and a- anything. And I know so I'm going to get some blowback on this, I'm sure, but it's like your your toys, right? Mm-hmm. So cars, trucks, boats, planes, whatever. Mm-hmm. That anything that you've purchased with or a house purchased with funds illegally gained. You know, let's say you're a you know a street vendor. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, whether it's from you know selling drugs or uh, theft or whatever uh, was right. in your previous life, uh, you need to get rid of those things. Uh, otherwise, there will be a dark cloud and an evil presence, a dark presence over your life uh, until it does. And, and that's not imaginary. That stuff happens. That that is so real. And people go, "Oh, that's Hollywood." No, it it is. Let me tell you a quick story, really quick. Years ago, when I was outreach coordinator, thirty years ago at uh, Teen Challenge here in Pacific Northwest. We had a guy <clears throat> that had horrible migraines. And now, let me preface this by saying, I'm not there's a demon under every bed kind of guy. But I know that there's something to this stuff. Um, the Bible says we don't battle against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual powers of this dark age. And it is very true. This kid, he could not, he'd been to the doctor, they'd done they, brain scans, they couldn't, nothing was wrong with him. But he had these horrible migraines. So uh, we had a guy come in and say, well, let's look at your the stuff you have. Now, most anything that he would have had that would have glorified using or drinking had been confiscated or destroyed when he checked into Teen Challenge. Um, so we were looking at pictures. We were looking at T-shirts. We were looking at all that. Couldn't find anything. And one day he's sitting in the cafeteria, and he, he had this uh, keychain. And... He had it attached to his belt all the time. He didn't have any keys because they took his keys from him through treatment. But he had these beads and stuff on it. Remember the little itty-bitty marijuana pipes you could buy at the novelty shops? Yeah. Right? And then the end would screw off, mm-hmm. and that part would connect to your keychain. Yep. Right? He had just the end of it on his keychain still. Mm-hmm. And and one of the one of the guys noticed it and said, what's that? And he handed it to him. He goes, is that? That's part of a old marijuana pipe. He goes, oh, yeah. Well, do you want to get rid of this? He goes, well, I just keep it on there to remind me not to smoke pot. You know. And, or remind you to smoke or pot. Or to smoke right? Well, um, he decided that he was going to go ahead and take it off there. It wasn't that important to him anyway, and, and they threw it away. And do you know, Dave, his migraines never came back. Yep. There was an attachment there. That needed to be dissolved. Right. That stuff's real. It, it is super powerful. I mean, because 
um, all of those things that you have that you've you've gotten, right. you know, by ill-gotten means, mm-hmm. you have that memory. You know that, and so that is always tied to your you trying to start a new life, mm-hmm. and it's always going to be that dark little spot in your life that's there waiting in the background for you yeah. to return to it because you haven't got rid of it. And it is so freeing to get rid of all that stuff. It is. And, and start over, you know? And, and, you know, I'm not saying go and, you know, destroy your house, but, you know, go sell it and go buy another one, you know, or whatever it is, take it and do something good with it. Maybe buy an apartment building and then, um, have a sober house that you can, uh, you know. Right. I mean, there's, it's kind of hard because, you know, it's one of those things like if that's your only, if you've, lo- if pretty much everything is gone except for that house that you've purchased, um, there's, I mean, I, I, I don't want you to go out and sell your house and be homeless, right? Because mm-hmm. you're trying to get your old life uh, and selling it and buying another one, you're basically taking the, you're just taking the same amount of, you know, the same money and doing it with something different with mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. But it's about, uh, changing it. I mean, a, a car, you can, you know, maybe trade it or sell it, you know, uh, donate it, and then. Well, let me let me play devil's advocate here, though. If you, sure. if you if you purchased a car with drug money, and then in, in for the sake of making an amends to yourself and kind of cleaning out the old cobwebs, you sell that car. Aren't you selling? Aren't you getting money for something? You see where I'm well, going? That's with what this? I was just saying. You know, yeah. I, like you get, you know, I I, I caught myself because it's like, yeah, you if you sell it, you're still it's still the same purpose. There's it's it's tricky. It can be tricky, but it you have to look at it in a way that you you have to do something equally opposite to counteract it. If that makes sense, right? To break that attachment that you right. have with it mentally and spiritually. And if it's that important to you, I, I had a, a painting that I did <clears throat> of the characters from the Dark Crystal, Jim Henson's Dark Crystal years ago. Yeah. And it was so good. I mean, I, I even shocked myself. It was extremely well done. And I did it while I was on methamphetamine. And here, year, years later, I'm clean and sober, and I'm looking at this thing, and I'm thinking, this is phenomenal artwork. Yep. It really was. And my wife challenged me on that. She said, uh, you know, that depicts a story that's got some kind of iffy kind of spiritual stuff involved with it anyway. And then you have this attachment to it because I was really attached to it. That was mine. That was my talent. That was, you know, me, me, me. And I actually came to a point where I destroyed it. I stuck it on a barbecue grill. And you know that thing would not burn, Dave? <laughs> I had to really work hard. But guess what? I, was, I, I ended up being free from that. Right. And I did feel a burden lifted. I had an attachment to that piece of canvas that just by itself, just the, the fact that I was so attached to an, an inanimate object, that was an unhealthy mindset in it just by itself. Right. But it, it depicted a part of my life that really I had no business hanging on to. Right. And sometimes it's just the act of, of doing something uh, opposite that's different that can break free. Sometimes it's, it's uh, you know, uh, doing a cleansing, you know. Right. Um, Dedicating your house to, right. to God and to recovery and this is a new place now. This, yeah. 
I mean, I you know, it was I had a issue with a vehicle that I purchased, and um, uh, it wasn't from ill-gotten money, but it was a, a transaction I made that I wasn't you know probably totally honest about. But I needed a vehicle to get to work, mm-hmm. and I basically accepted terms that were just ridiculous because uh, oh. <laughs> I was desperate, you know. Right, right. And uh, that thing, man, it was like this dark cloud over my life. For, geez, I ended up it was dealing with payments on that for like six years. Wow, just crazy. I paid like three times amount. That it was worth the original amount than what oh, it was no. worth by the time it was done. And well, I, when it got down to the end, right there, you know, they were I was flying under the radar, and so they managed to get. When I was in recovery, they they called me, and I actually answered the phone this time, and they said, you know, you're, you're, you know, uh, you need to pay <laughs> up, or we're going to come take your truck i love it you answered the phone this time right <laughs> and i said hey you know i said this is what's been going on you know yeah. i said uh you know i make it right here's my address it's parked out in front of the house you know you know do what you got to do and uh i think the guy you know i don't know if he deleted the whole conversation off the their computer system or what because i didn't hear ever hear anything back um but they they basically had uh, put a lien on my truck, and I only owed like two thousand dollars, even though I've already paid like twenty eight thousand dollars for a ten thousand dollar truck. Wow! Yeah, and so I I got to the point where I was just like, you know what, whatever happens happens. Yeah. I just got to get this out of my life because I would have money from work, right? And then all every time my payment was due, um, something would happen. I wouldn't have any money to pay it, right? And it would happen that happened like that almost every single month. Yeah, and it was just crazy. So one night I was uh, at a church event, and I left my was my wife. Me and my wife were still separated at the time, and I left my truck parked in, in front of, front of her house mm-hmm. or in front of our house that the one she was living in. And uh, I get a call while I'm at church, and it's the it's the repo guy, and he says, <laughs> ah, he's laughing at me. He says, I got your truck. <laughs> I'm like, well, you know, uh, you could have just called me. I would have brought it to you. I said, that's what I told the, la- the other guy that I yeah. was talking to on the phone. And I said, hey, you know, can I get, you know, come come get my stuff? So he said, yeah, sure. I went up and got all my stuff out of my right. truck. And it was such a huge weight lifted off my shoulder uh, to finally be, be rid of that thing, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, there's been freedom ever since. You know what I mean? I make good decisions and I follow through and I keep my commitments and right. You know, so it's it. I, I don't go back down that same road. Um. But yeah, it's. Uh, I know quite a few people that have, uh, you know, had businesses and so and through that and started those businesses by selling, you know. You know, being a street vendor. Being a and, street uh, vendor. <laughs> and it. You know, it's almost impossible for them to to break free from that and start right. over because you know the, what, all they have tied up. You know, they would lose everything. And so we've we've worked out plans where you can figure out ways that you can donate or you can help somebody else. Yeah, uh, with what you're doing because this was about if you 
if you, there's ways that, uh, you know, that's another subject about making amends, but if there's not a way for you to do it, you know, um, I would recommend at the very least to sell the stuff and then if you, you can get something else, but at least it's breaking that, breaking that chain from that as best you can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Speaking of breaking chains, we're almost out of time. Already? Already. Wow. Yeah. Time flies when you're... Any closing thoughts, Dave? To old playgrounds, playmates, and playthings? Uh, all, I, all I could say is that uh, when, uh, when in doubt, uh, bring somebody with you or don't go. Mm. Yeah. You know? Pretty simple. And you can pretty much use that in every, every scenario, even if you got old friends coming around, you just you set your boundaries. Yeah, even even in the most healthiest of environments, like I'm going to go make a major purchase. I don't go do it by myself. I think my wife with me. We bounce it off of each other, you know, because I like toys, right? And I'll make the, I'll, I'll make the wrong decision every time. <laughs> so next week we're going to talk about bullying. Ooh. So if you've been bullied, if you've been a bully, right? And, you know, there's bullies that are in their 40s, 50s, 60s. They're still bullies. Uh, we want to hear from you. We want we want to know what your experience has been and how you have dealt with that or if you have dealt with that. I mean, yeah, that's, right. That's a huge, huge thing because you got not only, you know, a lot of people will go. First thing they go to is like what happened in like high school or elementary school. Right. But it can be, you know, employer. Right. Mm-hmm. Other coworkers. Yeah, uh, it can be people at church. It could be people in meetings. It could be, you know, your neighbors, your family members, uh, people on Facebook. That's a huge Ooh. place because people like to hide behind the right their, their screen. Um, and I'm sure I'm I'm leaving out a few dozen other oh options, yeah, but yeah, um, <clears throat> yeah. So uh, please uh, write in and let us know what your experience is, and we'll. If you have any questions or comments, uh, we'd be be happy to address them. So you can do all that. Uh, you can visit our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash take12radio. Uh, you can email us at take12radio at comcast.net. That's T-A-K-E, the number 12, radio at comcast.net. If you're a member on Podomatic, you can comment on the shows, and you can comment there as well. Uh, or any, any of our side Facebook sites. So we got Take 12 Recovery Radio. We've got uh, Monty Meyer. We've got Monty Man. We got WordPress. We got LinkedIn. Any of those places you want to do that and comment, uh, you can access all of those at take12radio.com. Our closing song, interestingly enough, talking about old, old playgrounds, playmates, and playthings, is a song called You Ain't No Friend of Mine. And, uh, it's it's Denver country. <laughs> Denver, you're going to like this. This is by Rusty Golden, the son of one of the Oak Ridge boys. Rusty! Yes, indeedy. You ain't no friend of mine. Had a girl who really loved me. You convinced me that she didn't.
made me feel like a man A little bit cooler than I really am Till mama smelled you on my breath Introduced you to my best friend Mike Two years later, he let you drive It was all your fault, but I still blame myself Golden singing, You Ain't No Friend of Mine. Check it out when you're thinking about those old playgrounds, playmates, and playthings. It may not be your friend. They may not have your best interest at heart. Until next time, this is the Monty Man along with Dave Fleming, and we're reminding you that because of God's grace and his love for you, you are entitled to overcome. This has been a broadcast of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting.